Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Megan Cloherty, and I'm here today with fellow producer Michael O'Connell. Joining us today is Michael LaRosa. His career in journalism has its roots in politics. He served as a personal aide to Congresswoman Melissa Bean and scheduler for Senator Kristen Gillibrand. He was also special assistant to the deputy director of the Office of Personnel Management. Those jobs set him on a path to his current job as producer of The Chris Matthews Show on MSNBC. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Okay, so how did you get interested in the beginning in politics and media and sort of that convergence? Well, it's kind of a long story. So I started it started as an interest in politics. When I was five years old, my parents, who aren't politically active or involved much at all, gave gave me a placemat at the kitchen table with the photos of the presidents on them, (laughs) and I, I memorized them. uh, And you know, all everybody in school and my teachers would always want me to recite the. The, the order of the presidents. Because you could. Because I could, and to teach my, my fellow classmates, I guess. But it morphed into this interest in government and politics. I memorized them at a young age and huh. started watching C-SPAN. I remember some of my earliest memories were coming home from, like, I think fourth grade and watching Ben uh, Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell from yeah. Colorado switch parties. It was right after the 94 election. And, so you uh, were really, like, I was a six real, or real, seven. Yeah, I was a real junkie at a very young age. They were... <laughs> Politicians were and still are celebrities to me, and uh, and so um, that's kind of how it, it happened. And um, I went to uh, college uh, for swimming in uh, New Jersey at Seton Hall University. I had wanted to go to I'd wanted to live in D.C. my entire life. It was a dream, and I thought I could find a way to swim and do politics. But unfortunately, uh, swimming led me to uh, northern New Jersey at Seton Hall where um, I studied political science. um, And then after I was done swimming, I landed an internship on Hillary Clinton's uh, 2006 re-election campaign and started to learn fundraising and uh, event planning, things like that, and worked with a lot of great people who set me up for my time in Washington when I I was done. Um, And they've been great mentors to me along the way in, in, in politics and Went to work on the Hill for uh, Congresswoman Bean from Illinois, mm-hmm. and then Senator Gillibrand. Uh, before I went over to the administration as a political appointee at OPM, where I learned all about uh, the federal government, the federal employees, uh, policies infecting federal employees mm-hmm. throughout the country, um, and worked on some great initiatives there for for OPM and the White House, and uh, and then made the odd transition over to, to journalism from there, from government. So, so when you were at OPM, it was sort of more policy based, and you then met. I mean, did you meet journalists? Did you meet? Chris? No, did actually, you-, you know, I I I came to this the route in a very very traditional Washington way through you know meeting great people. Actually, it, it happened through a mentor of mine, um, a guy named Tony Quello, who you might know. It's not necessarily a household name, but he was sort of the Rahm Emanuel of his day. He was a, a young congressman who headed the DCCC in the 80s, and he hired uh, Chris Matthews uh, after President Carter lost to, to work uh, at the DCCC and then and then um, to work for Tip O'Neill. Um, I met Tony on, on a train, on the Amtrak train one day uh, when I was an intern coming to interview for grad school here in D.C., uh, and he's been a great friend and mentor along the way and introduced me uh, to a lot of great people. Uh, but when I was looking to, to go back to po- more political, either campaign stuff or, or the Hill after my two years in the administration, I was just ready to do something a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I really liked government, but I had wanted to do something a little bit more that engaged me more politically. And the intersection of where the media and politics exist always fascinated me. I mm-hmm. think 
the presidential campaigns were a big part of that. You know, the 2008 campaign um, and 2004 campaign were like, those moments for me when I realized I was kind of interested in the message that was coming across to voters, whether mm-hmm. it's through the campaigns or through the media. I wanted to be a part of that in some way. So mm-hmm. I always thought I would find a way to get there. And Tony said, well, you know, while I was interviewing to go back to the Hill to work in communications, Tony said, hey, Chris is looking for a political junkie to come work for him who has real, you know, political experience. So I met with him and we're both political junkies from Pennsylvania. And we kind of hit it (laughs) off. And um, he's taught me a lot since then. You know, Uh, I had a lot of practical experience going into journalism through about politics. But I had to learn TV and learn journalism. And I feel like I've thrived on it. I really enjoy living and breathing politics in a way that you can't do uh, in the government. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is is the is your perspective really different? I mean, is it really like you're jumping from one riverbank to the other that suddenly you're it definitely is. You have to remember, you know, people who used to be uh, your friends, you used to have their back (laughs) on a part in a partisan level. And now you have to be a little bit more you have to be more objective, no matter even, you know, Cable news, you know, sometimes can go one way or the other, but you're still a journalist and you still have to behave ethically and and from an an objective manner. I always try to maintain a lot of objectivity, but it's given me an opportunity to be not friends, but to work with people on the other side of the aisle as well uh, that you don't have when you're sort of have a partisan alignment on the Hill. Um, you can work together, you know, come on our show, talk, mm-hmm. have your boss come on and talk about X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. um, and work together that way and meet people on both sides of the aisle and get to know them and what they're working on, on how they can help, uh, you know, your show. So you kind of know who the best person to call would be or they like bounce ideas off you as far as like policy or, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's great being able to call up like a leadership office and say, OK, what are you guys working on this week or what do you think is going to come to the floor? Okay. Um, what should we be looking out for? Uh, what is the RNC putting out this week or what is the DNC going to do this week and okay. things like that? Um, what should we be ready for? Thing, things like that. Were you ready for the like the ethical I mean, well, it's just kind of funny because because we, especially with politics, you have to make sure that you have both sides. You have to make sure that, you know, you, you are making that effort to reach out to the other side. And, and coming from a political background where you said you were sort of stuck yeah. on one side, was it a weird no, feeling? Well, or was it a- no, because I, I enjoy the, the fact finding part of the job so much that it it's so it's so informational. Mm. I really enjoyed uh, working on both sides. You know, like I, I feel like I've become more of an objective, more moderate voice myself uh, from making the transition. I, you see politics and government through a different lens, I think, as a journalist than you do as a partisan. Did, and I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that part of it. Did that surprise you a lot when you went over? Um, it surprised me how much I would enjoy it, <laughs> calling out both sides. <laughs> Uh, you were nervous about that. You get two people to beat up instead of just one. <laughs> exactly, and I think some of my friends on the other side of the uh, on my former side of the aisle were a bit taken back at how much I enjoy it, but I really do. And and you know, my boss is is really good at detecting uh, that on both sides as well. Well, and that's one of the nice things about having worked in the political arena is that you're familiar with the games. You'll be able to call BS on somebody. If- yeah, you are. You, you kind of you know how it works. You, you, you know what each member of Congress is doing before a vote. You know who they're talking to. You know what they're doing day to day. You know, having been on the Hill, you know, my, my boss 
and I think this is the sad part about politics, is that they have to spend, you know, these freshman members of Congress, they come into Washington thinking they're going to change things, and it's it's admirable, and it's great, and that's mm-hmm. what you should come into Washington thinking you're going to do, but little do they know they're going to be spending most of their time in a little a little space much smaller than this on a phone all day raising money still. From the time they sw- they take the oath, they're back to raising money for the next two years. Crazy. And making friends and alliances and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, the, you know, fundraising breakfast, fundraising lunches down the street at Sonoma or uh, Bistro yeah. B. That's where they're spending most of their time. And, you know, it's different than I'm sure what they would expect campaigning to be. I know my old boss was always frustrated by that part of the job. She mm-hmm. was a competitor, you know, had to do what she had to do as a as a, to campaign for the next election, mm-hmm. but really loved the part where she could affect policy and make a difference for the people. People back home who elected her, the soccer moms, the environmentalists, uh, those working mothers like she was. What kind of policies did they want affected? That's what she wanted to work on. But she had to spend so much of her time raising money to keep her job, to be effective. (laughs) And that's the sad part of where we are today in politics. Now, um, I think when we started out, we said Chris Matthews show. Is it? Chris it's Hardball with Chris Matthews. Hardball with Chris Matthews. Make sure we got we got Uh, Hardball with Chris Matthews on MSNBC. So. Talk to us a little about what you what you do in your job. You you said I think you originally started as a as a scheduling. Well, I started as a booking producer, producer. um, which was uh, I really thrived in because I love names and people, Mm. and it was sort of matching the. Every day it was, you know, we would we figure out what... Get Sarah Palin on the line. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, every morning you figure out what the hottest stories are. And then you try, you know, eventually you nail them down to what we want to do, the content of what the show is going to focus on. And then mm-hmm. then you have to kind of figure out who are the best voices, the, the experts that match the news or the newsmaker mm-hmm. that matches the story, the people who can really drive home to the audience... Uh, and explain in a very, you know, explain policy and politics, mm-hmm. uh, the complexities of it, but mm-hmm. in a very simple, short way. It makes sense to the viewers. Mm-hmm. And that was always the, the interesting part, but I loved that part of the job. We had uh, Rick Klein on from ABC, gosh, a couple months ago now, mm-hmm. um, but he was talking about this week and talking about sort of getting that panel together. Yeah. And the challenge of it, not only because you need... Um, sometimes the best person isn't necessarily the best spoken person or the best TV person. And also, you also need to think about diversity, women yeah. and men. I mean, it, I Absolutely. mean in every sense of that word. That's the same, that's the same struggle that, you fought, that I've, I've fought with every day as, as a booking producer right. was it can't always be there's – ton, there's a lot of credentialed people in this town or in New York or, or wherever who can talk about – a number of subjects that we're going to talk about every day, but it's who is going to articulate the best for our audience. And, mm. and you know, diversity is a huge factor. You want, you know, ultimately a more diverse panel, mm. you know, is a more information, a more informed panel. Mm. And I think that's what's really crucial for our audience is to, to see that we have all pe- people from all walks of life mm. representing different point of views who have a point of view. And that's what we want to hear. I know as a, my brother, by the way, watches MSNBC basically all day long. So I see. <laughs> Good. At least he's well informed. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but but I know that a lot of times, especially, I mean, not just, not just Hardball, but a bunch of different shows have regular guests that come we on. We do. Do mm-hmm. you try to sort of avoid that at times to try and get some new voices on? Or is that also, I mean, it, part of the show? Yeah, it goes back and forth. We have our Hardball regulars. We have great people who, you know, our audience really seems to like, and um, they're like family to us. But 
But they're they're informed people. They're smart people mm-hmm. um, that we consider smart, and um, we love them. and And I think our audience really likes them too. So we keep them around as much as possible, and we do mix it up. You know, we have we have politicians um, on the show a lot, senators and, and congressmen who. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had a lot of people from both sides of the aisle during the shutdown, especially give different points of view. Republicans who are unhappy with the shutdown, Democrats who are unhappy with the shutdown, and both sides trying to help us figure out our, our help our audience figure out a solution, how we got to this point, and how we're going to get out of this point. Is it harder to reach out to people during the shutdown? I mean, I know Michael. <laughs> Michael works at Federal yeah, News Radio. It's, it's hard and- for us. It's been hard for us. It, certainly, anybody who's Who's employed by the government? I, I, I think I was telling you before there was a, a story, right. story that I was working on with a particular agency, and uh, you know it was a really interesting story and it actually had to do with the shutdown. And you know I call their main press number and it's it's a uh, it's a recording and it's like oh, okay well then we'll reach out to the people that we know who on our contact lists and you know we haven't heard back from them so maybe that's something we can't cover. The one thing I found is that you know if I'm especially talking about it during the budget showdown you right. want you know I generally like to call um, both sides of the committee uh, of like say the budget committee for to talk to staff about uh, you know, the showdown you know like get, I would try to get facts from both sides and 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 they're very helpful in, in, in explaining to me different pieces of legislation, mm. you know, which is a, yeah. above and beyond what, what I can under, what I understand no, from the, a broad-based perspective. The, the but they're not there right now. The, the, people, <laughs> right. the people in the, um, the political offices, the, the people on, uh, uh, you know, congressmen, senators, staffs are, yeah. are, 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 are priceless. As right. far as, as far as, um, I mean, because it's, it's not an average time in Washington no. by any means. And usually if you're a, a congressman or a senator, you sort of want to spend a certain amount of your week getting out there, getting your message out there, being seen. Mm-hmm. But when you have this major job that, is isn't being done depend on who you, depending on who you right. ask do you, are you guys having problems booking people or no, is it you're not they want the, to be seen it's the opposite I, I at least from my perspective i feel like we're getting pitched a lot because they're so available right now <laughs> um, and they want to get on the record a lot of them do on yeah, yeah. their stances you know, I yeah think, i think it's probably this is probably a lot of politics right now but i think they want their peop- the their constituents at home to know that they're here taking a stand or taking a position and want to use any outlet they can to get yeah. that message across. Right. Yeah, I think uh, my office is a little bit different because we, we we're not so much covering it from a political perspective. Right, the agency from, level is different. It, yeah, so for us, it's it's been a it's certainly been a challenge to try to get people who are informed. I mean, there are plenty of experts, there are plenty of former you know CIOs who you can you can mm. call in and, and get yeah. some information about, but. You know, if if they tell if the, the government's telling you you can't, you know, check your email, you can't check your, you have to train your BlackBerry. It's hard to so, stay plugged in. It's hard to stay plugged in, <laughs> right? Yeah. Michael, tell me, do you consider yourself a journalist now? I mean, do you, do you call yourself a journalist, or is it you sort of like a, still a hybrid? I'd, I'd like to think so. No, I'm I'm def, I've definitely crossed over to to this side of things. To the dark I, side. <laughs> I don't think of it as the dark side. I, <laughs> I really I I love it. I I get, like I said, I get to live and breathe politics in a way mm-hmm. that I've always wanted to do, mm-hmm. in a way that I couldn't when I was on when you're on the hill or when you're in government. Because at some point you have to, uh, you're in government for a reason, for public service, and public service isn't about politics, and it shouldn't be. But well, from from our from our perspective, we cover politics, mm-hmm. and that's fun, and that's fun for the people. That's uh, my job is fun every day. And I, I really like it. So I, yeah, I'm in it to stay. Now we were talking before uh, we, we started recording a little bit about um, you know you you had been involved in in campaigns yeah mm-hmm. and um, that you're looking ahead to the 2014 campaign right already and um, 
you know, one of the things about covering politics is is the the whole game of it of uh, uh, yeah. from the sense of you know one side versus another. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost the sports analogy of of two Absolutely. two sides you know fighting each other and, uh-huh. and covering from that perspective. You know, what's what's your view on that as far as being a journalist and being able to sort of the best way to cut, cut through the theater and the spin <laughs> the I have found way. is is just numbers and facts, you know. Uh, and this is a great example, I think, like, going... When you look at these midterm elections, and that's what we're coming up on, is another midterm election. And I've looked at the last uh, 20 years or so of midterms, midterm elections, starting with, like, 94. It seems as though there's always been, in these midterm elections, a rejection of something. In 94, it seems like there was a rejection of, of health care. In 98, it seemed like... People were turning out to kind of reject this, you know, overzealous uh, impeachment of uh, 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 this attack uh, on Clinton. People weren't unhappy with the way things were going, and Republicans picked up seats. And then in, in 2002, it was national security being – it was the post-9-11 midterm. Hmm. People were turning out, you know, against Democrats who were soft on national security. Right. In 06, it was the unpopularity of the Iraq war and, and the, the Iraq war policies and Congress flipped for the first time in 12 years and then flipped back in 2010 because like it or not, I mean, no matter what side you're on, it was about a reje- sort of a rejection, not necessarily of the president's health care, because I think that was relitigated two years last year. Yeah. But it was sort of a rejection of the process at least or, mm. you know. Mm. And, and so anyway, what my, my point is that when you're looking at these races coming up and, and people like to spin and tell you, oh, it's going to be a great year for Democrats or it's going to be a great year for Republicans, you have to – I like to remind people, like, look, a lot less people turn out in a midterm election year. Right. How are you going to fight back against sheer numbers? You can talk all you want about the Republicans this or the Democrats that, but we're playing on a different field than right. you are in a year when Barack Obama is up for election or, right. frankly, in a year when Hillary Clinton could be up at the top of the ticket, when a lot of people are going to turn out for these folks. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, for example, in my home state of Pennsylvania, Barack Obama won by 11 points in, in 2008. But two years later, the state elected a, a Republican governor and a Republican senator. And doesn't happen very often, you know. In a state like Illinois, same thing. Right. Three million less people turned out in the state of Florida. What will happen in 2010? And I think when you're talking to these campaigns, you have to treat it as if it's a different playing field. Don't let them get away with treating it as if it's just going to be another. You know, look how unpopular the Republicans are right, right now. Maybe, but who's <laughs> going to come out and vote? And right. in, in a in a year in those off year elections tend to be a little bit less, you know, the groups that tend to be a little bit more dependable Democrat don't tend to turn out as much as they do in years that that there's a presidential election. So it's always – I like to cut through all that theater by, by showing facts and numbers. This is who turned out last time. Mm-hmm. This is who is likely to turn out this time mm-hmm. um, based on projections. So mm-hmm. tell me how you're going to run your campaign knowing that. Yeah, and then you know, for example, I think Republicans tend the the party faithful tend to come out on those on those off year elections more yeah, often than not. But if they don't turn out in their usual numbers, then that says something to you about oh maybe this is a repudiation of X Y or Z. Exactly, and you know, I wrote I wrote that two days ago in a story that I wrote about about the midterm elections coming up and what it's going to be a referendum on. Mm-hmm. And you're right, the the electorate tends to be a little bit older. Uh, and a little bit more informed. These are loyal partisan voters. The mm-hmm. party faithful tends to come out. 
and they're groups that tend to be less friendly to to Democrats in off-year elections. Let's just face it. It's just true. Or it's, you know, Charlie Cook wrote about that in his article the other day in National Journal. And and so while I think there's opportunities on both sides, there's going to be a struggle for turnout. And um, I think Democrats seem to know they have to have a turnout model based on a presidential year. It's a matter of what is going to motivate their voters. And that's kind of what we're – at first you, you could have been like – guns or, you know, like gun legislation or, or marriage legislation. What is going to motivate voters to turn out next year? We're still trying to figure that out. We're a long way off. But the shutdown certainly has people angry. And you're seeing a taste of that in Virginia. Yeah. In the Virginia we governor's were, race this year. We were talking about that before the, we started taping. I sort of want to turn things a little bit just based on his experience, because um, we have a lot of people listening who are educators and um, students who are trying to get to a certain point in their career. Right. And you took sort of a traditional route, I guess, but not from a journalism standpoint. Correct. Yeah. So do you think where you are now, you you did it the right way, the, the way that you, you think is was the best for your career? Or would you like to have known more about broadcast writing or, you know, whatever, journalism ethics or something? Yeah, I mean, I think I've brought some different skill sets to the to the table that I'm currently at because I, I worked on Capitol Hill and because I worked on campaigns and have have. M- you know, I've worked with the people that I've worked with in a different way than people who've climbed the journalism, the journalism ladder. Mm-hmm. I started as an intern in politics. They started as an intern in journalism. Mm-hmm. So we've got there in different ways. Would you recommend your like spending time on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. if you're interested in politics? No. Well, in journalism no, I, politics. First of all, I think it worked time, for you. Yeah, yeah. it worked. <laughs> it worked for me. Mm-hmm. I think so. I always think about what did I do to get to this point? And, you know, I was very interested in the people who succeeded in the industry that I want to work in, which was at the time politics. So I would always I would always research what people had done and tried not to, not to, you know, replicate what they have done, but see check out people's different paths. And mm-hmm. what I've learned now is that there is no right path to get to where you want to go um, because your interests morph over time. You know, I wah, thought I, yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no I know. I'm sorry. Like, I know everybody wants a concrete answer mm-hmm. uh, to what is the best the best path to take to get to, to X. Or to to X. X. Yeah. And I've learned that there just isn't. Mm-hmm. You can forge different paths. And I think I think you're better off forging your own path than than looking at other people's paths mm-hmm. and trying to follow it. Because um, I certainly didn't get here that way. I never thought I would end up working for and helping to produce a TV show that I had been watching for 10 years. You know, it was, I, I remember look, you know, watching my dorm room, Chris Matthews, all the time. And never did I ever expect to be produ- being a producer for a TV show. That wasn't where I want it to be, but it is where I am and it is what I love and where I want to be for a long time now. Did you have a moment where you woke up one morning and you were like, how the hell did I get here? Mm-hmm. Uh, the- Yes, I think there, there are moments like that, but in a good in amazement, way. I in still amazement. walk into the NBC bureau and um, every day, knowing you know Kennedy and Nixon had their first debate, at, wow. you know at our at our bureau, and that I'm working for somebody who you know helped helped me, you know sh- helped shape me as my or as a political thinker. I think you know watching Chris Matthews for as long as I have, knowing what a great political mind he is. Um, and now having the opportunity to work for him is I, – I still pinch myself every day. You know, when, when people walk into the studio or people I, I get to call and interview, um, when I got an interview with Elliot Spitzer the morning, he decided to announce his comeback. And I just got to call him on the phone and talk to him. And he was very open and honest with me and talked to me. I pinched myself because, oh, my God, look what I'm getting to do. One quick story is, 
you know, when I was when I was little and I like Chris, I'm a big Kennedy junkie. And so I saw this interview one time with the guy who jumped on the back of Kennedy's motorcade when when he was assassinated, Clinton Hill, uh, the body, uh, Jackie Kennedy's bodyguard. Mm-hmm. And I saw this tearful – the first ever interview he did back in like the late 70s, I think, um, this tearful interview. And I watched it and I was real young and I was like, oh my god, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be there. Right. You know, he is the closest person – in this whole Kennedy, you know, assassination, all, all the the controversy, not knowing the inconclusiveness of that whole part of history, mm-hmm. he's the one person who was the closest at the time. And two years ago, he came into the studio and we interviewed him for a book. And I got to sit down and just sit with him in the green room, and he let me ask him any question I want. And I, I had dreamed of the day that I could meet the man who tried to save President Kennedy since I was really young. And it's those days that I'm like, oh. I wouldn't be able to do this if I was working on the Hill. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be this close to history in a lot of ways, in Mm -hmm. different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Indulge me as I go down this this weird (laughs) analogy. I'm sorry. I know it's very – No, it's 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 like – a way of saying that I I just like never expected to be here. We we, we work – it's it's, it's funny because certainly with like with the bigger newspapers, bigger news bureaus, uh, networks and and whatnot, we build these, for lack of a better word, churches of, of, of journalism and when you go to work in these places, places that maybe you maybe idolize or you always wanted to work at, it, it sort of gives you this – it sort of reinforces your sense of responsibility for, for, for nothing else. That you feel like, okay, I'm in this place. And on one hand, I'm like awed by it. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm humbled by it that I have to you know, remember to be ethical. You know, I'm here for a reason and, and, right. and, and the reason is, is covering the news and, and talking to people and telling these stories. And so I think, you know, I've had experiences like that in, 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 in different places that I've worked in, just suddenly realizing, oh, wow, I, you know, I'm here for a reason. And, and this person that, that I'm interviewing, you know, in, in normal circumstances would be kind of – sort of blow my mind. But, but I realized that I'm here because I, I need to get that story. Um, sort of describe your job, what, your, your typical day. What, what is it that you do? You're, you know, you're, right now you said you're a segment producer. Right. Um, what, is, what does that entail? So, you know, it involves kind of – you know, reading in very early into all the news and figuring out what happened overnight, whether it's on the Hill or internationally, domestically, politically, anything politically related. Because our show is a very, you know, it's a the, the place for politics. So it's um that's the kind of you know food our 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 viewers want to eat. It's uh, politics. So um figuring out what what are the best stories that you know our audience would want to hear us discuss every night on Hardball. So, you know, we go through as producers and figure out, talk about them, debate, talk about the best, the the most important stories, and then uh, narrow it down. And, you know, I take I take one segment and um, help build it from scratch, figuring out what's Chris's angle. You know, how does he feel about this and, and um, how are we going to present this to our audience in a way that reflects Chris, but also cut through the complexities of, pol- of politics and policy and help deliver it in a very simple, clear, but you know, important way mm-hmm. um, to the viewer, so that they understand its importance and help and gets them to think about something, an issue, or a person, or a controversy. Just explains the complexities, but makes the viewer think. How often do you guys use? I mean, or how big of a role does social media play in your job? Because I know um, some. Obviously, politicians are better at it than others. Yeah. Um, and in a situation where 
you have a shutdown or something, it, it becomes sort of not less important, but it's it's less about crowdsourcing and more about what's going on on the Hill. Certainly, so, so, suddenly something breaks on Twitter. And it you're is. Like, and, you know, Twitter has been unbelievable. It's almost like an AP wire. It's uh, mm-hmm. a little bit it, – sometimes it's faster. I mean – during the shutdown, yes. I mean, I remember last week, or I forget if it was that last week or this week. It might have been this week, actually, when we saw on Twitter, Chris Christie was on the Hill. We're like, wait, what? He's on the Hill. And, you know, of course, you, you see what you see what's on Twitter, but then you have to go do do the work and make sure, you know, confirm that he was there. You know, talk to the people in your political unit or call people on the Hill and say, hey, I saw this on Twitter. Is this true? Before you can report it or before you retweet it. Um but what was interesting was during the gay marriage debate or um, the lead up to the Supreme Court when you had all these these uh, senators coming out in support of gay marriage on the Democratic side and some on the Republican side. For a couple of weeks, there was this domino effect. And is that what I saw was that it was senators putting their their views out there on Twitter versus press release. You know, it was like, oh, I'm like here. that was the first place you saw. Yeah, it. that was the first place you saw. And you're like, oh, I, I just saw, you know, Heidi Heitkamp from North Dakota is tweeting that she's for gay marriage. And she just tweeted it out. Go look. Here it is. And then like you can take it as a screenshot and put it up for our viewers to see. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is this is what, you know, the, the conservative Democratic senator from North Dakota mm-hmm. tweeted out today. In I, her words. In her words. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's coming from her. And I think it's had such a huge effect on the way we cover the news or, or campaigns. And, and, and I, I, we've had a few people in talking about the, the impact of Twitter. And one of the things we, we need to remind ourselves is that uh, the as a percentage, the general public doesn't really follow Twitter. Right. But uh, a good percentage of journalists follow Twitter. Yeah. So it's a place where certainly politicians realize uh, that you know, if they want to speak to you as a journalist – Quickly, yeah. Without you know, you might be more suspect, suspect if they email you a press release or something. But if they see something break on Twitter, then suddenly it's it yeah. There's a- almost an authenticity about it because you're limited to like 140 characters, yeah. and you know, after uh, last week when there was that that shooting on the hill or that you know that that tragic the case, thing, yeah. yeah. You know, one of the congressmen you know, tweeted something out blame, blaming, you know, like vo- stop the violence or, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, Harry Reid. And he had to like, you know, he deleted it, which, but it was but already caught on a screen grab. Somebody screen grabbed it. And, and um, you know, he retracted it. And he was like, you know, I'm sorry. I, I tweeted a little bit too soon. I, you know, no no one is to blame. I'm not blaming the president for what happened today, mm-hmm. but blah, 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 blah. But anyway, you know, it can be, it can be a, a a double-edged sword. It can be a bear I guess. trap. Yeah, it can be. You have to be careful, but at the same time, you you see, oh, there's a politician speaking his his true mind right there on Twitter. Yeah. So we know that everyone can follow Michael's work at um, Hardball. You can watch it every night. If you want. <laughs> um, but as far as social media goes, or uh, do you yeah. have a website? Or I try to be very active. You know, I'm always tweeting. Um, I love Twitter. I love Facebook, uh, Foursquare, all those things. Foursquare. I'm really – I like checked in here at, uh, on Foursquare <laughs> at WTOP Fed News Radio, um, uh, uh, this building over here. So I really enjoy that. And I, I, I am building a website. It's actually up michael-larosa.com. Nice. Which links to underwaterpolitics.com, which is going to be my little my little own branding of kind of who's sinking, who's – Who's swimming? Who's making a, a, a splash in D.C.? My that own, makes sense. A little my, swimming, swimming background. My own little take on, on myself, my own little brand. So. And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Michael LaRosa, D.C. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a fun discussion. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of media.
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or find out more information about It's All Journalism at itsalljournalism.com. We'd like to hear what you have to say. If you have topics that you'd like us to cover or suggestions about who to interview, email us at editor at itsalljournalism.com. Also look for It's All Journalism on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at All Journalism. <laughs>